Welcome, this is Blind Shovel, an arts and music podcast. In this episode, I had the pleasure of speaking with acclaimed rap producer, Derek Braxton. Hope you enjoy. Yo. What's up? All right, so what did you do today? Oh, man. Well, uh, today I went by, I chilled in Greenpoint all day, man. Some amazing stuff happening out there. Uh, setting up in an event with um, the Elm Foundation mm-hmm. out in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. That's really, really cool. And um, getting them organized. Their, their initiative is, um, is uh, um, Art therapy for children, mm-hmm. and we're doing an event over over on you know February eighteenth. That'll be really really cool. Um, a bunch of the kids that I teach over there, I've been teaching. Um, uh, what is it? Eight and nine year olds how to um, produce um, in Serato Studios, and then how to DJ in Serato Studios. We just had a meeting with Serato itself. Well, OP and, and um, Love over there and. They were nice enough to give um, some licenses uh, to this, so so some kids could have you know um, some licenses and check that out. So that that was really cool. And then bought some records. That was cool over at Brooklyn Record Exchange. Nice. Band and those guys were really cool. And then um, stopped over at the Good Room Bar uh, for a sandwich. Uh, <laughs> they're they're synonymous with um, the Good Room, which is one of the one of the best uh dance venues in the city of new york um and uh one of the guys who works over there he djs with us over at beer wax it's, it's pretty cool man it's this new community that's happening you know well you know all about community man you guys are doing it over in rutherford as well yeah well community is complicated <laughs> much, very very complicated no nah, i've never been to the good room but i really like this one artist braulio does uh the posters for it and they're amazing so i got to check that out but in respect to so you're teaching these kids how to produce music is that right yes so that would be your expertise production i'm yeah i'm I'm built um first out of musical production uh you know started starting out of of the gospel church in choirs um and then um through choirs and um i went to went to private school called saint peter's high school in the city of New Brunswick and uh, chamber choir, concert choir. And then, uh, you know, with uh, Mr. Dillard over at Hampton University, um, concert choir, it just always choirs. Uh, that's, that's how I, I caught melody. And uh, putting together chords is always through uh, that first, you know. So from the beginning, you were into this. Absolutely. I mean, my, my mother, uh, I, I had, I had, the privilege once again to hang out with my mom. I mean, you know, my mom is is pretty deep musically. My mother has uh, over three thousand CDs and uh, seven hundred vinyl in the crib. Sixteen pairs of speakers. Uh, it's just madness over there, just with um <laughs> with equipment. And uh, that's but that's where it started. It started out with you know with the church, going to church and having to be in church for forever, and um you know you know finding something to do within church that wasn't Bible Bible study or something like, you know, um, yes. and, and getting into that. 
And uh, my mom, she, she, you know, I'm still finding out how deep she is musically. Um, not only just a eclectic taste over, over the span of music and, and, uh, and CDs and all the stuff that she bought. Um, but also she used to make pause and pause and uh, play tapes. You ever heard of those before? No. Pause and play tapes. It's like, it's pretty old school. We have a, a, a double deck, um, tape deck and you record, um, sound from one to the other. And she oh, used yeah. to make these yeah. very intricate pause and play tapes and like where, where it was like almost like glitch, which, mm. which is amazing for me to listen to. She had, she had, she has, um, uh, crates full of cassette tapes where she made, she made these pause and play tapes. It was like the original DJ sets were happening from, from these things. Mm. And, uh, you know, she used to make them at the crib and, and make uh, different mixtapes and stuff for, for her friends. But, high high level of um audio always came from her i mean we you know back in the day they had you could listen to any pair of speakers you could listen to any receiver kid uh, if you want to listen to an Ankyo receiver with polk audio backs and uh both free freestyles in front you could go to a a stereo store and they would they would play this stuff for you you know and in order to sell the equipment and we right, right, right. every weekend every weekend without fail and uh you know, she would sit back and, and listen to these, all of these different things. She would, uh, she subscribed to Crutchfield and all these, um, musical, um, uh, sound magazines. And she would listen in or look at the best, best possible equipment. And she would reference that equipment at these places and to where every single one of them knew, knew her name. When she walked in, they knew that, that she was really not playing around with sound. Um, and some of these speaker systems that she has even now, are, they don't even make it anymore like that. So these cabinets and it was a high level of sound since I was a child. Is she know? a traditional musician in any Absolutely way? Absolutely not. Interesting. Um, you know, she, she, uh, she learned the same way, you know, through, through the gospel church and through, through, um, through that vehicle, uh, singing in choirs and all that stuff, but just a uh, true appreciation, appreciation for music, like a passion for music. I, I haven't seen it much. I've been actively in the music industry for 20 years and, um, I haven't seen that amount of passion in many people. So does she still go to church? Yeah. Yeah. She goes, man. She definitely goes and hangs out, um, during pandemic. And I mean, hangs out, uh, watches on, on television during pandemic. Uh, you know, our family is, uh, you know, was heavy in the church. My grandfather and grandmother have, have a room named after them in that church. Nice. And it, it was something that, you know, community, it just went from, went from, I think the first, because we went to the first service there. Uh, right. The first service had 12 people, something like that. It was done at, done at, a, at the teen center in New Brunswick. Mm. And then now they have, I think well over 10,000 members. Uh, it's the biggest church in the city of New Brunswick. And, um, just seeing that even happen has been a thing, you know. Um, but it's, it's called it's called Abundant Life Family Worship Church in, in the city of New Brunswick. It's the biggest church out there. Um, Bishop Seawright has always been been really really cool. But I mean, you know, it, I'm I'm not I'm not the the most religious dude on the planet. Mm -hmm. um, but show you know some structure and uh, you know music on a high level. And they did a recording. I think it was like ten. And uh, maybe about 
uh, 20 blocks away from my house is the state theater, which is um, the New Jersey state theater is down the street from the, from the crib. And the church did a live recording of their album at this place. And I remember, I remember the first time I was like, man, you can do that where they had, um, they had the full choir come out. There's a hundred person choir and all of the musicians and all this stuff. And, um, uh, state theater was packed out. It, it holds 1900 people. It's fully packed wow. and they're singing and they're going and it's a whole thing. And, and, the, and he's like, the pastor's like, stop, wait a second. Let's do it again. And they do it again. I'm like, Whoa, you can do that. <laughs> like, you know, like you can really say, stop, you can do it again. And that, I think that was the first time I heard recording on a high level where it's like, wow, you can really pull it back and do that again. Right. You like that, that level of control and, and uh, meticulousness. Sure. Sure. That was really cool, man. Yeah. I mean, I'm always interested in like not lame Christian art, you know, because there was a time where the highest art was obviously through the church. And then it's kind of synonymous, even though if you look at it closely, it's, you know, a ton of rap is Christian, obviously reggae is explicitly Christian, but most people think of it as, uh, like literally like Christian rock, which, which is often not very good. I mean, I could be uninformed on it. You know, partially, partially what interested me about what Kanye was trying to do briefly there. Although I feel like he's not trying to do it anymore, but I thought that was, man, I I mean, that was, I mean, like up until a couple of months ago, that was still a huge thing where that, that, um, that cross, then also the crossing between secular music Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, you know, like um, the world's music and God's music, quote unquote, um, has been the tug and pull in between, you know, church and state from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And uh, it can it can end up. It can end up stifling a lot of artists and um, alienating a lot of artists from their own from their own religion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's very odd and it's very which is a part of it. I don't. I don't mess with it, man. I I really think um, that's not really what I'm about. I'm not about the alienation of anyone. Yeah, I know. Uh, you know, and then the, you're, you, I mean, going back to Christian rock, man. It's like you know, some of it is good and some of it is bad. You know, it's good and bad jazz. It's good and bad anything. But I know some Christian rock uh, bands that are not playing around. <laughs> um, you know, I don't. You know, I, but it means I just haven't looked. Uh hard enough it's pretty rare that a whole genre is just not good that's like almost unprecedented (laughs) you know right yeah but in terms of production what's your again like was that the primary identity you'd go by a producer in terms of like your career absolutely i mean i think i think within the past 10 years you know i've I've been curating events and and uh helping other people curate events bringing artists together um bringing community artists to the forefront of you know a high level of art but i mean you know 19 years old uh you know i signed my first uh production deal with with swiss beats at 19. Mm -hmm. i've been been, i'm 41 years old now so um you know that's been that's who i am it's what i do so what does that mean you know like it's kind of one of those terms like director, you know, obviously like mm-hmm. films are produced. You're almost talking about producing events in some ways, you know, sure. I think of musical production, but, and I think of certain producers, mm-hmm. um, but I imagine they all have different ways of going about that different levels of control and respect to what they tell artists to do. So for you, 
as a producer, what is that role exactly defined as? Well, I mean, for me, I've, I've, I've been afforded the opportunity to study under uh, several with what they call super producers. Um, I was with Swiss Beats first. I was with him for two years. Um, I was with uh, Shay Haley and, um, and uh, Shay Haley of NERD mm-hmm. um, brought me into a faction and then um, Chad and Pharrell mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, out in, out in um, Virginia. And then uh, Rich Harrison. Rich Harrison did one thing for A. Marie and, and uh, Crazy. And he wrote and produced and arranged Crazy in Love for Beyonce. So Swiss, Swiss, uh, Swiss, and Swiss is different training from Pharrell. You know, like uh, coming coming from the church and coming from a singing background, I was thrust into a position where it was like, oh, okay, well, we're making, you know, hip hop music, right? Um, and hip hop music, um, production wise, can come from you know, uh, a, a myriad of different places. You can come from the Puff Daddy experience of it. I don't know all of what goes on to all of the recordings. I don't think anyone does with, with them, but, uh, you know, Puff Daddy is looked at as, as a, a maker and a producer who doesn't press buttons kind of guy, mm. um, who, a person who, who, um, in the same way that Phil Spector may not have pressed any buttons or played any instruments on, on the record, but they produce or or they they uh they galvanize the troops in order to in order to make this recording and for some for some production it's a textural thing meaning i'm going to make sure that texturally that these these songs and this music sounds away and then others come from the ground up where there's nothing made right um yeah. and then and then produce um make 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 a track a backing track for an artist and then make sure that whatever song the artist either write the song yourself and then have them, that artist re-recorded or uh, to have, have that artist to make sure that whatever that the artist lays down is, is in a place and, and fit in a place. And I, 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 I rock towards the Rich Harrison or Pharrell Williams approach, which is called the 100% approach, write, produce a range. So write a song, mm-hmm. right. Uh, make, make a backing track for, for, for a track. Then, then write the song for that backing track. Then find an artist who's suitable for that song. Lay and record that song with that artist. Replace all vocals with that uh, with that vocalist. And then mix, master, engineer. I mean, uh, mix and master, and then then to the street. Right? So you're the puppet master in that context. I mean, you know, puppet master, but also also writer as well, right? Yeah, and yeah, that, yeah. that's something that's something I get. All producers aren't writers. Right, that's why it it sounds like you do more than some people who might be called a producer. Right, and and you know it gets muddled sometimes, and and you know I'm being extra careful even even in saying this. uh, You know, and responsibilities change from project to project. Um, Mm -hmm. If I'm if I'm doing if I'm working with a band and I'm producing on a band, um, and uh, there's a band I produced uh, produced for called Like Trains and Taxis out of New Jersey. I, I produced a record in in Chicago. And they already had written all the songs. They had their instrumentation in place. And and I said, listen, man, you know, well, the these drums need to be mic'd like this. This needs to be done like this. This vocal should sound like this, right? Um, and you give them a texture of what you what you want and the feeling that you want on a joint without contributing to the writing of the music. Because the writing was already done. That that's mm-hmm. a that's a Rick Rubin approach. Uh, Rick Rubin on um, Red Hot Chili Peppers didn't write those songs. Right, but he right. did produce the record. 
you know. Yeah, my uh, Steve Albini is another one. Who, oh, yeah, yeah, who, you yeah, know, yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe hasn't written. Man, Steve Albini is like, I'm still confused on how how well he records. It's mm-hmm. ridiculous. Um, his approach being uh, no EQ, right? Meaning, mm-hmm, meaning, mm-hmm. meaning, I want to get it out. I want to, I want to record it so well that it doesn't have to be EQ. You don't have to touch any knobs. You leave it all the way, all the way, the way it is, and the only, the only knobs and the only uh, thing that you're touching is volume. Like right. everything is perfect already, you know. Um, taking taking the the time during pre production to make sure it's all good, right? Um, and, you know, in the same regard, if if you have, and this is something I'm just just learning about and teaching myself about, and learning from other people, if you have a director of a film, um, that happens too. You, sometimes you have directors who are also cinematographers. That's their strong suit. And uh, sometimes you have um, uh, directors that are that are kitted more on uh, on on uh, the the blue collar side, the grip side, you know, like however you get to the thing. Um, other, you know, some some directors are really, really good at imagining the entire thing themselves and others are very, very good at delegating responsibility. Right. You know. So I get the sense that you like to zoom out and strategize in general, that you like to see big picture if that's an event or the album or the song, you really want kind of like a bird's eye view of what's going on. I fair? mean, I, we, we, have, it's crazy to say that we have, we have a term, you know, um, me and me and, uh, one of my, one of my production and, and, uh, and business partners, Wes, it's called the view from the blimp. Mm-hmm. Like there, there's a zoom out, you know, the first one, the first one is a selfie from your phone. Right. It's like a self-evaluation. And then from the block, you have all, all the cameras that exist on the block, like street cams mm-hmm. and, you know, local local bars, restaurants or whatever. They have their own cameras. And then you have city cameras and then then you have a scope that's bigger. And then you then you go to Google Maps and you start zooming out more and more. And when you lose, um, you know, if and when I mean, this happens when you lose perspective on what you're doing immediately, zooming out helps a lot. You know, so. um well, yeah, that's like, um, that's the key to strategy, you know, tactics are like reactive, you know, someone does this, you do that, but strategy is, is big. It's mm-hmm. everything. And, uh, I too, am interested in that, you know, just like kind of like trying to always expand without losing integrity, without losing potency. That's really challenging and very uh, much so. And you only have so many hours in a day. So it's like, you find yourself doing shit you didn't want to do <laughs> sometimes. Okay, so okay, this this was this was deep. I, I was having a discussion with um one of my buddies, a guy named Ken Cardo out of um out of uh, Chicago, really really dope, and we've been long long time collaborators, a long time collaborator as well. Um, we made a bunch of bunch of music together, and and we we did um a record called Escape Earth that got picked up on uh, for Adult Swim. Oh yeah, and uh, in Cartoon Network, and really, really cool record, and is one of my really good friends. And we were speaking about um, he was speaking to me actually about powerful men, mm. right? And how powerful, powerful people a lot of times can't they can't divulge um, all of what they're thinking because of intellectual property. Like they're they're afraid to to let someone to delegate responsibility because of the things in their mind truly are new and cutting edge. Right. And um, then because you can't delegate responsibility, you become so ensconced 
in, in the process of what you're doing in every level of it, like normally, okay, if you, if you, if you have an idea to, to make, make beer, you don't have to figure out how to blow the glass for the bottle. Yes. Right. So, so it's, you know, Dr. Dre, for example, is using, and that was the example he used. He is doing everything. Right. But I mean, Dr. Dre, you know, is, is experiencing like health problems from that. Hit aneurysm. Right. You know, off of, off of just overworkload. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know all of what goes on. And, but I mean, this guy, he does everything. He hasn't, he hasn't been able to, because it's such a, such a level of sound. He hasn't been able to delegate some of that responsibility. And, um, I don't want to be caught in that, in that process. Yeah. That's uh, a, that's a flaw. Thing. That's a flaw. Like I, I have it for sure. But like, if you can learn to teach people and trust them and accept that they're going to make mistakes here and there, you're going to have a more powerful empire than if you. How have you been dealing with that, man? I, I man, <laughs> seriously, um, difficult to relinquish control when you, especially when you know certain things are going to go wrong. Allowing people the 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 latitude to figure out on their own can be difficult. You know, it's just I I think about winning the war and not the battle. That's basically sure. strategy for me. It's like I just have to accept that if I do want this larger scale, if I want bigger impact, there's gonna be trade-offs in every day. Right. And it's real different than sitting in a room drawing all day alone. You know, like that's a very different battle. And but I recognize that that process was actually deteriorating my health, probably more than being stressed out all day trying to make people, you know, get to where I think they should be or vice versa. And them trying to get me to where they need to be. Um, the humanity heals a lot more in that process. But when you're just sitting down between you and a piece of paper, you know, there's yeah. definitely spiritual moments, but it, it's not like it's praying or, you know, my one friend is always very cautious. Like, don't, don't be convenient about making art and calling it prayer. Like they're different and mm. you can't just com collapse them and to make it convenient for you time-wise. Like they're different practices. And, uh, I used to argue against that, <laughs> but that's when I thought artists were, were gods and I, I don't think they are anymore. So that's well, a whole mean, nother story. It's, it's, um, well, uh, deep, you know, I mean, once you, once you, once you acquire a certain, you know, all of us have a certain level of talent, right? But, you know, talent is whatever, man. A lot of people have a lot of talent, um, you know, but you don't get, you know, 20 years of been doing this. You don't get there with talent. No. I mean, it's, you know, like, you, and you know, that you know, this as well. I mean, you know, if you work within the artistic space or any space, you know, talent gets you to a certain, certain point. But after a while, it's like, man, I am in love with this process. I, I love, I love seeing it begin, and all of the muddle in between. Right. That that's that's what I'm in love with as well. I'm 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 in love with seeing something spawn from from nothing and then turn into something. Yeah. But in knowing in knowing that uh, talent runs out, you also know that it, all of this is not coming from you. Right. 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 So, right. so it's, it's like, you know, most times when, when somebody has like an incredible idea or, you know, most times when I've, when I've experienced that it's been, it's happened so fast that it can't be me. I would right? agree. Yeah. I don't, you know, I don't think you can achieve the objectivity required to scrutinize your own work without that 
realization. Because if you get emotionally entangled by each move and thinking it's the best move or the worst move, I think it severely hurts the product. But if you're in service of the idea that has come down from above and you know that you need to do the best you can on this sure. human plane to make it the best it, it can express itself, um, you can have humility afterwards, even when it's great, I think, because you know it's a shared process. Sure, man. It's like... You know, this stuff is you just pulling it from the air. Now, it, it, it is an artist's responsibility in order to keep tools sharp. So when when, you know, we're, we're a mechanism that. So when it when it does flow down, we can just grab it rather than rather than, oh, you know, well, I need to grab this. This is this, this. It's, it's yeah. our it's our responsibility to say, oh, OK, I'm going to be ready when it happens. Yeah. Right? And that's what that's why I wonder about that kind of like you were talking about. And I would I would say maybe they're not powerful men in some sense, but they are men that have potentially unique ideas. But I, I and I think being scared of letting go of those might have the a bad effect. Like I think there's an infinite amount of abundance with that, especially when you give it. Um now of course someone could steal your idea and they, they hit it big and that's unavoidable in some ways, but I think clamming up and not letting that stuff flow. This was, this is the interesting way to look at it. Right. So I've, I've been, I've been um, digging into Rick Rubin yeah. as of late. Right. And, you know, like the guru um, and uh, the Sherpa of music. Right. And his approach is um, if, if an idea comes and, and it, and you have this amazing idea that the universe has provided this idea and that it's given to all right and if you pick if you pick it up first and cool no problem right but mm-hmm. either way that idea must happen yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's not like it's not you that 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 idea must happen it must perpetuate itself it must occur right so when when you when you start thinking about it like that there is no way for your idea to be taken right and and, and it gets rid of some of the bitter and angst of of art man because it is very competitive as well yeah, you know, there's, I believe that to be true in some sense. And Ruben's a little too, you know, I've watched his interviews and stuff and I respect he's a little loose. He's a little too, <laughs> too hippie new age for me. Sure. Um, cause like this is true, but the shape of the vessel, you know, mm. that it's received through is, is what's important. Like no one would argue if I got a musical idea and you got a musical idea and Kanye got an idea like that, it would, that it would be expressed the same way right. you know it, it would be it would be completely different so sure the ideas are floating around but i think there has to be an acknowledgement of of what's receiving it as a unique individual hmm. yeah i mean it's um schools of thought man but uh you know i mean it's very easy to say that thing too you know when you when you started when you started, uh, like Def Jam recordings when you were like a kid, sure, you know, sure. it's, e- it's easy to say these things after the fact. But yeah, I, it's, e- but, it's easy to be a hippie after you're at the top, you know, like, yeah, man, I mean, yeah, it's a different, it's a different game. You're in a state of luxury, like civilizations, when they're in luxurious states, they can, they can dabble in these kind of abstract, luxurious ideas. But when they're building themselves, it's war essentially it's sure gather resources it's protect yourself it's and i think everyone 
has to recognize where they're at, they're at as an individual in respect to that trajectory. Cause, uh, you know, like advice is a tricky thing because, cause we're not always in the same place when, when people try to give it and get it. And, uh, mm. I, I try to listen as much as I can to others, but I always keep in mind where they're at, you know, in relation to where I'm at. You must. Yeah. I mean, you must, I mean, you know, um, People who say, uh, you know, you can get you can get something from everyone, of course, but you you do have to. You, it is countered by where that person is and level of experience and whether you're, you're going to trust their level uh, as opposed to yours. True. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. you know. I mean, you can get something for people who suck at what they do. You can get a lot from them because <laughs> you, you can see what you shouldn't do. And that's mostly <laughs> what you're going to get. Uh, hopefully one has the blessings of being around people better than them. I mean, that's very important. Well, and, how, do you, uh, how do you go about, and, it, and this is something that, that I'm actively doing and, and always actively doing is, um, how do you, how do you, you know, how do you deal with, you know, having, have an understanding of where you want to be, where you're at and, and the art that you, you, uh, you make and the art that you want to make and then bringing in, bringing in other ideas, other thought, like where do where do you land on that stuff? Because it's 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 always always a battle with me, and I, I try to I try to learn new things. I mean, there's people there's people in the world who only know me as a producer. That's all they know. Mm-hmm. And there, there's people you know who only know me for DJing. That's it. You know, I would never call myself a DJ, but they, that's all they see is just me spinning records. And then then there's people who only see me within community work. So creating these these different parts. I mean, back you know it's renaissance you know like uh mm-hmm. being able being able to not just a jack of all trades but having a, a level of expertise at all these things as well um it, it's it's difficult to take in um all of the information especially when a lot of it a lot of it i'm learning and this may also become uh, could be coming from a, a position of privilege and me not having to go through the whole rigmarole finding people you know, when you're 26 or 30 or, you know, like, I mean, I started out so young and I knew people who were so heavily involved in the music industry at such, such a young age. But I don't know. You know, I don't, I don't really know the starving artist thing. I don't, I don't really, I didn't see that off jump, mm-hmm. you know, um, I'm reconfiguring, figuring out like, oh, okay, well, cause a lot of, a lot of these new things that I'm learning have the same people involved. So I'm not starting from nothing. Right. Right. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. In life experience too, like um, me coming in as a 40 year old and learning something new within art, I'm not coming in dry. Like there's certain life stuff that happens, you know, right. I'm, I'm still trying to figure out how to. Um, and I think, I think it's an ongoing process. I think it will happen until I pass is how do you take all of it into account? Right. Without, without, really sounding like you know not the not the best guy you know like you know not like a know-it-all or you know it's it's well here's the truth nobody you know especially in today's age envy is cultivated and promoted i believe like it's real hard to you have to be mature to recognize someone's better than you and to listen to that person Mm -hmm. most people are just going to you know, they just don't like being in that inferiority, that inferior position. Um, I find that to be a problem 
in in modernity like i don't i think people have a hard time acknowledging that like there are people who are just much better at them and me at certain things and that you should just listen but with the i just feel like the internet has emboldened a certain faux expertise in everything and uh it because could you be, don't, you yeah, don't have to do any you don't have to do any research um well i'm sorry not not any research but you don't have to do all of the research in order to come to the conclusions you can you can yeah. you can scave over information like quickly on your phone and have and have a rudimentary at least um understanding of what's going on and it's just like it's like dude you're missing all of it you know, like, I mean, you know, it can't, th- these things, uh, you know, uh, knowing the experiences of Rick Rubin can't happen from a Wikipedia page, you know, right, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, like yeah. You it's missing to, the process of acquisition of wisdom and knowledge. It's just absolutely. the, it's, it's a A and B, but with nothing in between. Sure. And, uh, you know, you're constantly in a position of having to prove your expertise to people. That's just the reality of risk mitigation for clients, you know? Um, well, okay. It's I'm glad to hear that somebody else goes through that too, because it, it can be a thing that you know, it's a lonely place um, to to have established yourself within you know any any mastering a thing. You know, I'm 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 at thirty thousand hours, forty thousand hours, right? Mm-hmm. Like a, a long period of time, and and just you know, coming into the elevator speech of a, of a situation and saying, saying, okay, well, you know, this is what, this is what I do is what I'm, it can be, it can be a thing, but I, I'm, I'm really, I'm really happy to be in a position where I don't, most people don't, when it, when they meet me, man, especially now, most people when they meet me, they, they have no idea what I've, what I've done, what I've accomplished within the musical realm. You know, like, I mean, I've been nominated for multiple grants. You know, mm-hmm. I, you know, uh, um, you know, it's, it's accountable for, for over a hundred million records sold. That is like a whole nother thing, you know? Mm-hmm, and, um, you know, uh, coming, coming across as humble, um, and, and making sure, making sure that you're, you're on an evil and level playing field so you can learn. Right. Cause I'm also at alert, uh, at an age where people don't teach me anymore. Right. Like, you mean like, you, um, you mean like they don't have anything to teach you? No, absolutely not. I like I everyone has something something to teach me, something, mm. right? Mm-hmm. But but so what do you mean? They won't they won't teach me. I mean like um me, what I'm what I mean by it is you can you can catch it off of life experiences, a conversation, you can you can surmise these things on your own. Yes. But I mean actual teacher, if I say, listen, man, can you teach me how to whoop 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 do this thing? They won't because I'm competition. Now, 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 younger people, they'll teach, they'll teach a young person anything, right? Uh, Because, because they're not viewed as competition because they're lacking experience. But when when you have, when you have a certain amount of experience, people think that you're going to use these tools in order to, it goes back to, goes back to, uh, you know, ego and then also, you know, that competitive spirit, but, but, you know, jealousy can be a thing. I, I don't know, I don't know where all it comes from, but. You know, people aren't people aren't jump, chomping at the bit in order to teach forty year olds something. It's, of course, it's, it's very course. it's very odd. You know, well, you know, scarcity is a thing. Like you can talk all new agey about abundance and 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 whatnot, and I do believe in yeah. maintaining that mentality. But then there's also just like 
the real objective and brutal reality of certain scarce aspects to life. And there's not uh, enough of everything. There is no, if there was, it'd be, you know, more people would be in a better position. Um, yeah, I, I don't think, I don't begrudge any, I mean, it's petty for sure, but you know, I, I, I like competition. I, I, I just think, I, I think competition it. should be healthy in the sense of, uh, like everyone likes a good, sports game where the, it's like back and forth and tight and you know both teams are expressing the best and pushing each other further on still that's sharpening steel man that's right i mean it's the only way to get it's the only way to 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 achieve um it's the only way to master something is to be up against a a worthy adversary yeah and ironically yeah. those should be your friends sure yeah your sure. friends should be adversaries you know, like, uh, at least that's what I look for. In, and, that, uh, and that's, that's, that's what I was talking about. Just like, you know, finding, finding, you know, uh, you know, having a pivot to find the new friend group and, and having, having the, the, having no ego rolling, rolling into a situation and saying, you know what, man, these guys, these, I know these guys are better than me and I want to be better. Right. Not, not for, not for the way that it looks, but I truly want to be better. And I'm not, I'm not afraid to be not as good as these guys in public, right? That 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 happens too. Where it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You, you know what I mean, man. Oh, uh, I mean, that's why you, I have trouble learning a second language. It's so hard for me to um, <laughs> abandon three decades of vocabulary and then just like try to learn how to say hello. Like I'm yeah. so bad at the humiliation of mispronunciation or. Or saying the wrong word. It's it's something I need to work on. It's I mean I, you know I have the same thing you know um, and <laughs> I have the same thing with with, with languages you know I, li I lived out of the country multiple times and man I, I wish I wish that I wish I I wish I hadn't seen behind the curtain man you know like like I mean what you're speaking about you've you know I, I've seen I've seen your work I've seen I've seen the kind of artwork that you make and you've mastered you've mastered uh, you know, a level of art. So when, when you, when you've mastered a thing, you know, the pro one, you know, the process that goes into mastering it and it can be daunting. Right. And then two, two, it's like, you're just like, man, you know, I've done, I've done this, I've mastered this. And, you know, like now to, now to dive into it, I don't know, it can be off putting. And well, I, I you never caught it either. You know, I appreciate that, but I don't, I don't feel that way about, Comics are just so um, crazy. Like, there's so much complexity to comics, the relationship between the panel to the next panel, to the mm. whole page, to the whole book. Um, in no way do I feel that I've mastered it. Um, drawing, I've drawn for a long time, you know, in different capacities. But you probably feel similar in this, in this way that, like, I, I will still be figuring it out until I die. You know, like... It's um, it's just the suffering is real, and I mean that in a good way. Um, sure. It's just sure. endlessly entered, not entertaining, but it's it beckons. You know, it just wants more of your time. It's just the hard part. Then is is as you as I found as I enjoyed life and humanity more. It I was just losing time for that that very mm -hmm. antisocial activity. Mm. This is the hard balance. This is the hardest challenge I face right now, I would say. 
And what, what about what about have you looked at, looked at it from the perspective of okay, well, um, you know, this is a battle, but okay. One one of the one of the one of the things I say all the time, and I really mean it, is um, you have to live life in order to, uh, in order to make art. Yeah, right. Yeah. So so the life experiences that you regain and garner from that new relationship may be the bridge um, over the water of uh, a block for lack of a better term, right? Mm -hmm. And and until you live that life, you'll never get over the barrier of art, right? No, and, yeah, and, yeah, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's like this tug and pull, man. And it's, it's great even speaking about it, like, and even seeing that other artists go through this, you know, like, it's, it's like, man, it can be daunting. And then, then on top of it, just living life and, and doing, doing like the mundane stuff and then having to, uh, think about making sure that your, your, your thing, your tools are sharp so that you can cut up all of this art, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It, it, oh man, different parts of the brain, you know? It's true, um, but there's always a balance, you know, like there, you could go off in the woods and just produce forever, draw or whatever. And the work will probably lose some connection to humanity, but I think the technical skills will increase dramatically. Sure. Um, you know, a human lifespan is an interesting amount of time. There's like, if you sit down and you, you ask yourself, how many more albums can I produce? How many more comics can I draw? And you really look at it honestly. It's pretty shocking how it's little... In, in in a sense, how little is left. Yeah, um, yeah I got you. I mean, well, well, to it's um okay, and that 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 brings back in the collaboration and delegation. Yeah. So definitely. so th those are two two very different numbers. If um you know if Dr. Dre uh uh puts puts uh several different engineers into into the mindset of okay, this is how Dr. Dre record is produced and made right and it, this has happened a lot of times with production like where producers have um adjacent meaning meaning other producers who produce produce under their moniker i belong to some of these faculties at, at, at points under right? their name under their name huh absolutely so sometimes sometimes under name um but but i mean with me it was never under name i mean swiss swiss you know i was signed to swiss as, as a producer but he never he always gave credit you know, and I mean, that was a, it's an absolute blessing. I mean, some of the, some of the horror stories that you hear about, um, people not, not receiving publishing or whatever, man, so it's really, really showed a lot of love, man. And, and making sure I knew, I knew and, and maintained, uh, my intellectual property. Mm. He was, he was like really, really dead set on it. And, and at a time when it wasn't popular, you know, so, um, but, but, you know, going, going into a thing was like, all right, well, I'm okay. This this is another thing that I've been thinking heavily about is um if I just give right all of my ideas, if I give all of them away to everyone, will I have the same yield, right? As if I kept them for myself. As as I would if I kept them for myself. Right? Depends depends what you mean by I in that sentence. So, like, will you have the same? Will you have the same yield? I, I, I bet you'd have more. Yeah, you know, I bet you'd end up. I just, I don't think having ideas is that difficult if it's you're not 
no, no. It's, not. it's it's part it's part of it's part of what we do. It's like it's like saying to it's like okay, well, um, it's saying to a bus driver, you know, how many miles did you do? It's ridiculous. It's like I drive a bus for a living, right? Right, right. Like to, right. to have an idea. I mean, if I don't have any ideas and I'm an artist, somebody will chalk it up, right? So, so these things are coming down. I, I yeah, I definitely, I get that point. I just think, um, I don't know. Yeah, it, it, I, I do believe there is some mystical quality to just putting putting it all out there and um, giving. You know, I think at least I went to art school and it was a very different environment. It sounds like what you do as from a production standpoint is naturally kind of social and collaborative. But in art school, you, you really get forced into this kind of solitary production. And, it, you know, after school, I collaborated a lot with other people and found it very satisfying. Mm-hmm. But coming from a family of four brothers where there's five boys, it's just natural that I try to wolf pack up. It's right. just like a sure. very natural instinct. Sure. And drawing was lacking that. And uh, and I wasn't even playing sports at the time. So when I don't do when I'm doing those two things, not playing sports and drawing, that's a problem. It's complete solitude. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, it's it's you know, it's what I catch um when I'm doing doing the first incarnation of like making a thing, I'm alone. And then and then you know, most times I'm alone, I should say, if I'm not just making a track in studio, right? Mm-hmm. Like off cuff. And then then at the end you're alone. Like um during during uh editing, mixing, mastering, mm-hmm. you're a dolo, man. No artist is gonna be there with you. You're like, That's whatever you think. But yeah. Yeah. So th- those are two two time periods where it's like really alone, just looking at a you know, <laughs> I just got like glasses. Uh, somebody gave me, some, you know, uh, a, ni- a very, very nice person gave me some glasses today because I'm having issues with seeing. Really? You feel me? Like, I can't, I, I don't know. I'm like, man, like, <laughs> I can't even see, I can't see the screen anymore. It's like, I'm squinting now because I've looked at this screen so long um, or, or just ear breaks. Like, because, you know, uh, I've never heard that term, but I think I know what it means. Yeah. Mu- music is, is difficult. I wish. I wish that I sometimes I wish that I, I was endeavored in a different art form where I could listen to music when I did something else. Yeah, right? my friend, my I interviewed uh, my good friend Dory. He said the exact same. I asked him what he envied about visual artists, and he said, oh. I just like that you guys can do it while you're you're just like, you know, you could be listening to music while drawing, you could be listening to a podcast. Music is um that's all you're doing. You that's gotta be it, man. You gotta be Jeez. in it. You have to be all the way in it, man. And there's, there's, there's no, there's no phone calls. There's no text messages, really. There's, I mean, you have to be, if you're, if you're not, but now, now, it, listen, I don't, I don't sit. I used to, I used to do a thing where I just sat until it happened. Right. I don't do that anymore. I allow for inspiration to happen and then you go. Right. And that's been, that's been far more fruitful. What do you mean? Like, what's the, what's the difference between sitting and allowing? Um, you know, where you make, I, I designate, I designate my morning to, um, you know, I set up, I set up my laptop and I set up my headphones and I designate the first 30 minutes when I wake up to either creating something new or listening to something with fresh airs. Right. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that doesn't, you know, but having, 
creating creating this time, creating this pocket where you have we have a clean palate. It, it it just doesn't exist in any other time or space. It's either very late at night where it's quiet, or very early in the morning where it's quiet. We have this blank slate. It's it's, solid it, solitude. Oh man, uh, it just doesn't happen. It's, I mean, I mean, it's, me, a, it's me, a god. It's a god thing in my view. I, I do think like there's many ideas about this about how like individuals come up with great ideas and then groups execute them. I, mm-hmm. I do think that's mostly true. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also reminded of, I don't like Big Sean at all, but I do like the line, I don't wait, I marinate. I always found that idea interesting. Sure. <laughs> that, that there's no... Uh, don't move Don't move into you. Like, um, um, you know, um, uh, Bobby Fischer. Don't mm-hmm. move until you see it. Mm-hmm. Right, that that like that thing. Don't move anything until you see it. If if you don't see it, it's like you're just moving. You're moving in, moving in the shadows, man. You know, yeah. like um, there there should be something to invigorate something. And then then also the crazy thing is hypersensitivity to sound is crazy. Like it's it's you, a siren will throw you off. Anything mm. will throw you off in that mm. in that time. Right. So so having having a a blank slate, you know, me and my boy, Ken, we're talking about just like how clean our space has to be. It's very odd, right? Like it can be, it, it can be chaotic in other places, but workspace has to be a thing. It's like, this has to be, I have to, I have to sh- be able to shut off my mind to anything mundane to nothing. Everything's out of sight. And then boom, hit this thing for a hot second. Then I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, the, once the, it the started, it's over. The material realm shouldn't interfere. Sure. Like any mess will, will pull you back into the material realm. That needs but, to get fixed or this needs to, yeah. you know, then you're done. You know, you might as well wait till tomorrow. So from um, night, you know, from being a producer at nine, you said 19? Yes. Well, well, I started, I started producing like around 17, 16 and 17. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, 19, like actively in the industry. How do you think it's, how do you think it's, you know, in the, over 20 years coming from the beginning, what were your expectations and how is it different? Um, it's been a great ride. I mean, I, it's, it's, since a young age, I've been like involved in the process and know kind of know what it takes in order to be really good at something. Mm-hmm. Um, technically things have changed a lot. Uh, like I'm in, I'm in this weird, weird place. I won't ever, I won't ever exist again. I came, I, I came, uh, through three different, or definitely two different formats, hardcore. Mm. Um, the the first the first record I ever recorded was on tape. You know, we had to like splice right, the tape, right, right, that right. thing. You know, um, like <laughs> uh, pressing pressing. I'm still I'm still blown away by it, that you can press a button and record again, and not spin back a tape machine. Right, right. Like you know, uh, like coming from that, and then um, into uh, CD and hard disc kind of thing, like, um, outboard gear, drum machines and all that to, to a thing where you can just be at a laptop or on a phone and make an entire track. Um, those things have only helped me, right. For, for a lot of people, a lot of people, um, they put them, put themselves, uh, completely within their medium. Uh, but you know, within visual arts, you'll have a couple of guys who are really, really good at sculpture and then really good at oil paint, right? Mm -hmm. Like, but that doesn't happen all the time. 
uh, mo- mostly, you know, people state stick to the medium. Like if I make if I make records on an MPC, a Kai MPC 2000, 3000 or 2000 XL, that's what I make it on. Or if I make it on guitar, right? That's what I make my music on. And now you're seeing people who can switch in between different DAWs, uh, you know, different audio, audio, um, uh, digital audio workstations, or or deal with uh, just straight instrumentation. Take it all the way back to just microphones and instruments, and being able to tug and pull and go between all of these different things. Having having the analog and the digital has you know become a weapon. Yeah, yeah. I mean. It's funny to hear you talk about that and then think about just drawing, you know, drawing has been a pencil on a flat surface for a really long time, except, you know, you bring in Photoshop, it changes it up a bit, but yeah, you know, Photoshop, you guys got, you got guys on iPads, you got, you have, you have different ways to, to do is different strokes being, being had, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, and I almost don't like, it made me think of AI because that's something I've been thinking about this month. And, uh, Man, I don't even want to talk about it. Actually, just it's you just, saying it, just you saying that though, that seems like it should be like. And I, I've known you for a short period of time, but that seems like it's going to be a thing with you. I mean, <laughs> I get that a lot. I've been getting that a lot. And it, it, uh, or directed, like, yeah. like, like that, that too. I mean, Nobody's, I'll be, I'll be honest. I was messing around with it today, but yeah, man. You know, I think I always had that kind of like whatever horrifies me i go towards so like i'm attracted slightly to it and its potential its power but i'm also it it certainly bums me out a little bit like mm. maybe in a in a egotistical way it's like you know there was a time when like i don't know if you know the story of john henry and the inky poo i do not <laughs> it's an amazing story uh, it's kind of like a a black folk tale in some ways. It's about this dude John Henry who's just gigantic, and he oh yeah, I know John Henry. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And he drives on the railroads and exactly. And the yeah. Inky Poo is the machine who replaces him. Mm. And, and this is all of industrial evolution. You know, there was people who were great at what they did, and then a machine replaced them. And maybe I'm just experiencing what they experienced, where like, like I don't think. AI is there quite yet, but I'm sure there's going to be AI making beats, making, Mm -hmm. you know, illustrations. And I don't, I can't tell what's going to happen is we're going to really come to learn what truly makes us human. Or if people are just going to forget what humanity is, and it's just going to be like this, this bloodbath of, of overconsumption and nah, man. I mean, I think we're already we're already looking at from a, from a musical standpoint. Uh, Mike, mm-hmm. I mean, we're we're already looking at, um, dude. You you can you can. <laughs> I'm dealing with I'm dealing with analog analog, man. Where you know a, a drum machine had had seconds of sampling time, seconds maybe, True. right? Um, and and uh, some of the things that you can do, I can drag a track. Uh, into a into one of these doors, into Ableton or Serato, one of these things, and and then it analyzes the BPM of it. It analyzes which key it's in. You can extract every note that's played on it. Like I like I, I've done it before. You can you can slide in uh, Miles Davis kind of blue, mm. and then extract all of the MIDI from it, meaning um all of the notes played, and then have yeah. it play on a different instrument. 
So I don't know. I don't know what what level of AI that would be, but people are definitely using um, these robots, right, or this this artificial intelligence in order in order to bring their thing for, further. And I think I think at the end of the day, man, um, you know whether whether these things are perpetuated uh, uh, from a human through AI and then coming coming back as art, right? Yeah. Uh, there's there's always going to be a human aspect as it pertains to art. We, we we've just gone through a period where you ha- you are capable of making an entire record with like one button pressed, right? Yeah. And people are still choosing to do it the old way, right? Right, because the process is is uh, sure the process is off. Like yeah. like the, people know the difference between between the process of it. They know the difference. They can they feel do, they, Yeah, they do right now. They do right now. Unless we're all robots. <laughs> yeah, right, my, right, my, right. my thing is like if a child is born in a world that is heavily AI generated, like commercials, etc. Like, will they know the difference? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm fascinated to see it. I don't want to be a cynic about it because like this is the pattern of reality. Dude, that I, there's just gonna... taught, I just taught a nine-year-old how to spin vinyl. So, yeah. so it's like, it's right. like they're, they're, and, and, and the choice is given. It's like, okay, well, you know, like on here, it was like, wait a second, what's that? Right? These are kids. They don't know anything about anything. What's that thing? Why? Why? Because it's physical stuff, too. Um, yeah, one one yeah. thing that AI doesn't, can't get, or, or what doesn't have now, and maybe it will, will very, very soon, is a physical aspect of it. Like, there's, there's nothing to hold. Oh, yeah, yeah. I wonder how it's going to kind of achieve that. But no, there's something always intriguing about vinyl, the way it's just something that spins. Sure, and and then also, I remember the first time I just noticed that it didn't need amplification to make sound. Like you can just like listen from the needle. Yeah, it's so crazy. Isn't it so wild? I'm still blown away from it. Um, you know, on on how some of this stuff just works. And, and that's uh, why I say fuck CDs. I'm very anti CD. You know CD. I All love right, so- I love cassettes because. Now that you mentioned, I remember my brothers doing the same thing, and and I remember in college doing the same thing where you had to like duplicate the tape, but you could also, you could like, I remember my friend doing a, I guess it's just like a tape loop, you know, like yeah, pause and play tapes. I mean, everybody did it, man. Like yeah. we we did that. Yeah, I mean, you fi- probably did it. You got like, fiz- if you wanted the- to get your 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 favorite song off the radio, you did. Yeah, my brothers had the Jerky Boys. Uh, the Jerky Boys. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, no, I remember. Uh, I remember my uh, crank yankers, the jerky boys. (laughs) Oh man, so good. So remember my good friend Jason uh, in college making an actual tape loop with like you know like cutting up the like just going inside the cassette and making like a four second loop. It was fascinating. That physicality is really interesting. I told like I told my mom was like, you know, do you want to do you want to do anything with this stuff? Right, because because she she doesn't know she has no idea that this is even stuff, right? It was just something that she did because she loved it. I was like, "Mom, on the room, you you put in you put in ten thousand hours on this, mm-hmm. right? Just on these tapes." I was like, "You want to come out right now and, and hit Brooklyn up as an artist? It's real talk. It just the story of it is ridiculous." Yeah, you ever use any of that material? When no, I mean she she I, I just I just spoke to her about it. She's like, you know, I'm open to it and I'm cool with it. Um, I just started, um, you know, recording some of the conversations that I have with my mom, just about music and whatever. Mm. Um, it, it's it, like I, I went over, went over to her house 
last week and I was blown away on how much I learned just in that experience and going back through, like, I don't know if there are too many people in the world who can go back through their original music that they listened to when they were a child. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, she has it. It's like all there. She kept every CD. She kept every piece of vinyl and you can look at it cataloged. So like, oh, I remember listening to this record on the couch. I remember listening to this in the summer, like this, that, you know, and, um, I mean, I think she's completely open to listening uh, to use some of this content. I think, I think that is that'd be like cool. A second childhood for her, you know. Yeah, you have like a library of your influences. It's pretty it's, dope. It's, it's like yeah, it's wow, nice. you know. You should make a like a film, short film or something. I kind of, I kind of want to, man. I think, I think that one one of the things that happens just in, in my community, African American community in general, these things aren't documented correctly. And uh, right. not all the time. And, and, you know, for, and it's being, it's being done very well now. And I, I want to make sure that there, there's something on record. One of the things that she's accomplished and she's done and that has been done in my home city and all of it, you know, home city of New Brunswick. Yeah, I'm born and raised in Brunswick, man. That's a, uh, I mean, I love that place. I say, I say New Brunswick wherever I go. It's, you know, <laughs> people get tired of it. Uh, quite frankly, I say New Brunswick and New Jersey wherever I go. Like, even yeah, what, what do you what do you think New Jersey is when you have to explain what New Jersey is? Um, it's a state. You know, it's definitely a state. <laughs> it's a state. I mean, New Jer- New Jersey is um, uh, to me represents the underdog, and yeah, it put yeah, it put yeah. it put that into me where you know. You know, we're offered a beaten path. We're respected. We're respected by New York um, in certain regards, and then completely disrespected it in other places. But you know, we I don't I don't think New Jersey uh, people from New Jersey take it. We don't hate people from New York in the same way that like people from Philly hate New York uh, people or vice versa. Um, because yeah, yeah. we're not a major. There's no major cities. It's like you know, Nor is Nork is definitely a major city. Definitely, definitely cool stuff happening out there. But it's not. It pales in comparison to New York. New York is. It's the biggest city in the world. You know, you have, you have like, it's on the clock, man. Um, you know, what's bullshit, bullshit is like, I always, I went to school in Philly and yeah. I always think about it from this perspective. When you look at the state of New York and the state of Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. these cities are ours. Philly and New York are ours. 100%. By any, by any reasonable metric, like they are nowhere near the center of their states like pennsylvania is huge new york is huge these cities are literally on the border of new york and if new jersey contained new york city and philadelphia it would be if it was any other state it would yeah it would be considered like a it would be crazy it would be a a cultural i don't know I, i find that super interesting like that we and the fact that the new york giants are called the new york giants uh, the fact that there's two football teams that play in New Jersey and they're called New York is that's it's that's some other thing. that's other bullshit. It, it, it's a lot of BS that goes on. But I mean, back to your point of yeah, man. I mean, Texas they have two. California has two. Um, you know, you, I mean, every other state has like two bangers in the state, like huge cities. And proximity wise, I mean, New Jersey. I mean, who made the decision uh, to? This is what I think about, and it's, it goes right with, with with what you're saying. Who made a decision to dump trash in in uh, New Jersey and then use an island, right, as a yeah. port? Like, who, who made the decision? I mean, you had an entire state, 
right? And way, way more, way more land on the other side, on the Jersey side, right? Mm-hmm. To build from that side. Like, why not build New York in Newark? Why not build New York in Jersey City? Or, or any of these, these towns that are really, really close that catch all of the Hudson, right? Is it, there's no, there's no import export thing. Why New York? Why, why that island? I don't know strange. the I don't know the history enough. I should honestly, no. But it's always interesting. New Jersey has like this weird reputation, and I love New Jersey. I think one has to. I didn't always. If you're from here, you, you, you got it. You you have to lay there. I, I, you don't always, man. I didn't. I didn't. When you're a kid, it's like Jesus. He's catching L's out here. You know. No, I mean, I had to go to Philly and then Oakland, California, to understand what I was, what it was. You know, sure. California sure. really cleared it up for me. In a, in a good way, you know, it just became evident. Like, okay, I got to go home. How'd you like but, the uh, How'd you like the Bay, man? I, I, spent, <laughs> I spent a I whole know. month last year in the Bay. Where? Like, um, uh, I stayed in um, where is it? Is it Lancaster? Is oh, that, no. like Modesto, um, area. Um, really? That is uh, uh Stockton. I chilled out there. That's yeah, like, why would you? I went to Thanksgiving. So, so, very, so very random, right? It was like, uh, you know, Stockton, um, uh, Sacramento. So out of Sacramento, there's an amazing producer named D.B. Ozzy, man. That guy is a beast. Right? Hmm. He's a beast. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, Stockton, Sacramento, uh, Modesto, to Oakland, to San Fran. That's like mm-hmm. the area mm-hmm. kind of thing, you know? No, I have a lot. I have a lot to say about the Bay, but I, you know, I hate it. I hated LA. I mean, I, like I lived there multiple multiple times. I guess I had a good time creatively, beast mode, like incredible, right? Mm-hmm. But like lifestyle wise and personally, I had not the best times. You know? Well, um, you know, I got really good friends out there. I'm actually going out there in like two weeks, but uh, cool. I wouldn't be going there if I didn't have friends there. Put it that out way. in the Bay or um, LA. 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 I, I, I don't, I still got friends in the Bay because I lived there for like four or five years, but uh, yeah, that's, a, that's, I could write a book on how I feel about the differences between here and there. And uh, it just eventually didn't work for me. Is it, was it, was it like a space, was it a space thing? Um, meaning, I, 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 don't, I never, I don't dig getting into the, car for so long in order to get places in california it's like ridiculous yeah i mean that's a that's a component i used to bike all the time when i lived in oakland i'd go up to berkeley sure. and uh i had some beautiful days beautiful moments there's beautiful weather sure. i don't discount the fact that you know we have different phases in life and uh i didn't have it as together so i'm not going to put that on california hmm. but um I had to get rid of the the kind of like the dream, the California dream. Like I had this, I had this naive conception of what it was, and uh, it was very useful to live through that and kind of shatter that and come back to reality a bit more, and and also recognize that I just, you know, I was like far more traditional than I thought. Like, oh, actually, I'm much happier when I'm around my family and in the environment that I was, you know, from. It's like, it's like the thing, the thing you're explaining sounds like the thing that happens to people from New York and people from, from Cali, where they seem behind that curtain, right? Yeah. And they, they're able to utilize it 
way better than a lot of people. They are. I mean, the ones the ones that are because it's like, man, they've heard it all. They've, they've heard all this stuff, or whatever. Especially in Los Angeles, if you if if like okay, L.A. man is a is such a weird place in that everyone who was ever taught that they could they could do anything artistically that was better than another person was told to go to Los Angeles. Everyone, right. every every person who said they were better looking or better artist or whatever was like, oh, you should be in L.A. Hollywood, right? And then, and then also that, that, that notion is also, man, ballooned by the fact that we've seen LA a lot visually, but like as a, as a kid, we, we've seen a Hollywood sign a billion times. We've already seen mm-hmm. the Capitol building, the Capitol records a billion times. We've seen uh, the Hollywood stars. We've seen it in, in films and movies with, um, with, with, with quote unquote, the biggest celebrities, the biggest people on the earth are, or have been in this place. Right. And then when you get there, geographically, Cali ain't the nicest looking place. I, I, just, I just gonna keep it all the way real, man. You know, <laughs> Cal, like, like not, not Cali, but LA is not the most, the, the best looking place. Right? No, it's not about that. You know, it's, it's, it's young. It's, not. it's a young, it's a young place. Um, much so. Um, you know, so but much man. love, much love to the. Oh, no, nah, no. Nah, LA is, LA is awesome, man. I mean, I tell you this. Uh, first question in New York is, uh, "What's your name?" First question in LA is, "What do you What do you do?" Yeah. But if you can answer that last question, brother, it moves so fast. Yeah. It mo- it moves, woo, so fast. You, I mean, there there've been play- there've been times when, been times in LA, there was a um, there, there's a young lady named Natalia, and. Uh, Natalia is super, super cool. She she models on a very high level. And I met I met Natalia out in LA. Like the crew out there really made a difference too. Is um Natalia is another guy named Christoph Berg. Christoph Berg um runs the modular sims for Depeche Mode. He was running mm. for uh, him at uh, them at the time. We went down to um Santa Monica to, to go to Depeche Mode sessions. That was crazy. Then um then there's another kid named Mark Yeager. He was under Klaus and Hans Zimmer. Uh, working nice, on nice. working on the uh, the Olympics, like the music for the Olympics, and then and then we had right, and then we're locked out at um we were locked out at uh, Paramount Studios at the Cave, like this iconic recording studio. So you know we had something we had something to say and we had something to offer to the situation. Man, it, the floodgates opened up, and it was this young lady um named named Natalia that I ran into. Another dude named Chris Rogers, really really cool guy, both models. And they were together at the time. Great couple. Hung out with them a bunch. And um, Natalia just, she just, she, she was so cool. And she's just built for L.A. It's like, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, the, 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 the cool, extraordinarily attractive, super talented, right? She was bred for this place. And she would just land in these places. It's like, Natalia, how did you get here? I remember one time she called, she called me up and, you know, um, at the time I was living in, um, living on, uh, what is it? Mount Olympus. We had this, uh, we had this like five bedroom place in Mount Olympus and, um, you know, it was like really, really nice, but I mean, there are levels to Mount Olympus, right? <laughs> like for real, if uh, you know, there, there's a bunch of houses out there and she was like, Oh, come up the hill. And, and I keep going up the hill with this car. And I'm like, man, this car may not even make it up the hill. It was like, we're, we're, we're at the top of this hill. 
and we get to we get to this crib and the police are security at this house right i've never heard of that i'm like who lives here right and it was um it was it was one of the heads i won't won't name it but it was one of the heads of of a of a major studio uh own this house at the at the top of mount olympus right and I'm like, man, there's no way we're getting in here, right? There's a line outside. There's police at the door checking. You feel me? Like, it's like, mm-hmm. there's no way, right? And, um, you know, we're, we're at the door. And I'm, and I'm like, I'm just dressed in, like, sweatpants. You know, it was just out and about. And she called me. And I go on my boy. Go, We go up to the door. I'm like, man, well, let's get out of here, man. And as as I, as I'm about to say that, here comes Natalia. Everything. I was like, yeah, they're okay. And then we go, we go into this house and they had, it was an Olympic size infinity pool. Like who has this, right? Like who does this? And we're sitting, me me and and my boy were just sitting up here. We're like, wow, man, it really is. There, there is, there is, there is a key to this thing. And if somebody possesses a key, you can open all these doors quickly. Now, whether or not you can stay behind these doors is something entirely different. No, yeah, yeah, right, yeah. But man, there's there's a difference. There are definitely levels, man. Um, no, it's a different world. It's a different uh, world. It's amazing. It's but you amazing. know, so it's amazing. But at this point, what a you know, what are you looking forward to project wise? What are you trying to do before you Community, die? Man, you know, I mean. You know the stuff. The stuff we're doing, we're doing uh, over at Williams Center, and have done over there. That's really, really cool. Just going into you guys' spaces has been incredible. Really, really dope, and it's been inspiring for us and on our plight. Uh, the Elm Foundation uh, and community work over in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. But I mean, mostly, man, we're hometown kids, man. We make sure that we give back uh, to where we're from. We're working with Chris and Ralco over at um, NJ Skate Shop, and we're we're giving away a hundred boards. 100 helmets and a bunch of equipment uh, to to kids um, in in New Brunswick, New Jersey. That's that's like in a park that myself and Wes we grew up there. You know, nice. nice. Um, doing that kind of stuff, and um, you know, we're up for up for a lifetime lifetime achievement grant with the uh, the New Jersey State Arts Council. That's really really cool. Uh, but m- mostly mostly it's um you know I, I wake up and make tracks every day, man. I, li- I like making music. I love making music. It's it's my life's work, and um, that's that has to be at the forefront of what I'm doing, or everything else is all falls and fades. Do you yeah. still um, you still have ambition in respect to those tracks, or do you feel like you've accomplished all those kind of accolades? Absolutely not. I mean, you know what I'm what I'm digging into now is like uncharted territory. I did I did it. I, I did some of this kind of stuff. Like I did. Um, I'm talking about film scoring. Um, mm. everything, everything that I've ever done, uh, was, was to score film. It was, you know, being, being from inner city, uh, that was the way to go. Right. Uh, was uh, musically was to, you know, become a music producer, a hip hop music producer and make it out and, and do, do that. Uh, but from the beginning, I've always been looking at which, which music, music producers come from a background of, um, uh, musical production. Uh, Danny Elfman being being one of those guys. He mm. had the band with Bo- Ongo, Ongo Boingo. Oh, yeah. Um uh and now 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 we're seeing it happen on a very high level with Ludwig. And it, this kid Ludwig is the best musician, in my opinion, one of the best musicians in the world right now. Um, a person who can win. The 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 goal is, man, the goal is uh from from my standpoint, is to win uh producer of the year 
non-classical, right? Mm-hmm. That's um that's the number one Grammy that you can get on that side. And then uh in the same year that you win best original film score. That that that's that's, that's only goal. been done by a couple of different people, man. I mean So you, really, you like you like to keep the metrics tangible. Absolutely. I mean yeah. it's it's <laughs> it, there's nothing new under the sun. Who the fuck is Ludwig? Ludwig is um Ludwig, I can't even I won't even try to pronounce his last name. I'm terrible with it. But is Ludwig it, um it so it starts with a G, his last name. Yeah, yeah. Gorenson, I think. Yes. Is, yeah, um, yeah, he is did the fucking bow man, Mando, Mando. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. did he did um Black Panther, he did Creed, but he also produced for Childish Gambino, mm-hmm. right? In the same year. He yeah. did uh he produced um This Is America in the same year that he won the Academy Award for best original screenplay. I mean, um, film score with, um, Black Panther. This kid is a monster and he's super young. He's like, I think he's 30 something. So you're trying to get on that Ludwig level. I mean, you know, he, he's, um, he's one of the best, the best to ever do it already. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't think I'm not as presumptuous to think that I'll be on, on that level, but I mean, to, to not, to not try to achieve that level was to lie to every kid that I ever taught. Oh yeah. That's the goal. That's the goal. You know, but but just uh, you know, scoring film, um, um, catching someone else's um, uh, thought, dream, being a smaller piece of the puzzle, uh, a film is a big, big puzzle, man. You know, with uh, with hundreds and hundreds of people being involved, and a song and a record only has maybe five people involved. True, depending on you know. So no, I was actually going to ask you if you were interested in that, just because again, it's that kind of expansive you know big picture kind of project yeah we, i mean we just uh me and jt you know over at Lum center we, we just were over there we're working on a scoring project mm-hmm. you know that that's um you know you guys have all those huge screens up there i'm like man cue it up oh, it's for sure. um it's it's uh it's it's my it's what i always wanted to do when i was a little when i was a little kid my mom used to put on um she had she had a uh, superman um, the Superman score from John Williams on vinyl and she, you know, she would put it on and then she would, she would, uh, put me up on her legs and, uh, you know, I would, I would wear, wear a towel around my neck, like a cape and nice. fly, you know, like that was, uh, you know, listening to the Superman score, listening to, uh, Tarrant, uh, uh, what, what is it? uh, Tarrant, Terrence Blanchard or, or any of, any of these monstrous film composers that have happened from this man. You know Hans Zimmer with like how he how he um how he's taken both analog and digital and mixed them together to where you can't tell if it's a real choir or a fake choir or what he's right, doing right, right, right. his sound design excellence um and then and then some of some of the some of the other guys who are off of the beaten path um uh you know Jeff Barrow I don't know if you're familiar with Jeff Barrow from Portishead but he's doing a monstrous mm-hmm. job um uh scoring some films he's you know. There, there's a there's a musical oh no I'm sorry a film production house called A two four films. That's oh like, yeah, they're you great. already know they're great. Four, they're amazing. Yeah, yeah. and um, I hope to he, work with them soon. Yeah, in oh, terms man. of distribu- distribution wise, yeah, that'd be great. Seriously, then, then he, I mean he has um, but Jeff Barrow scored um, Ex Machina, yeah, and um, there was one other one with Natalie Portman that he scored. But these big drone. Man, huge sound, you know. Uh, be, I mean, too, it, it all falls into each other, you know. I'm sp- starting to speak to a lot more house DJs and 
uh, DJs who are, who are synonymous with bigger systems, the first big like speaker systems or some of the very, uh, first uh, speaker big speaker systems happen in theater houses, right? So for for these early clubs, we were pulling them out of old theaters in order to make their clubs. Well, wow. you know, um, those those um, those, I mean, you know, I went I went downstairs and saw. You know, you guys, you guys have some of those, some of those things in, in your facility of, you know, the humble beginnings of, you know, live sound. Oh, yeah. You know, it's just pretty nuts. Um, we'll get there. We'll get, we'll get there. I think you're already there, man. You know, it, 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 how about this? It, it turns, it turns into this, man. You know, I've, I've made a 20 year career off of having one piece of equipment in my grandmother's basement. True. Right. And, and have made records that have, echoed throughout the entire world. I mean, uh, for, for Loopy Fiasco, the cool album, he's had a 15 year anniversary on summer stage with thousands upon thousands of people there chanting every word. And that happened. I mean, I made, I made that record in, in my grandma's basement. Right. So it's, I mean, yeah, yeah. these small things, you know, of course you can have all the bells and whistles and stuff, but it doesn't take all of that to be inspired, man. Actually, so, let's, let's end it on that. What's, what's the album people should listen to if they want right to understand. Now? Absolutely. No, no, you're, you know, from your output. Oh, um, something I'm really proud of. I'll give you two. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I'll give you an old one. Blue Bay Fiasco, the cool album. Uh, the gold watch one there. I did the coolest in Streets on Fire uh, with my boy Chris. Uh, those records have stood the test, test of time. Um, and I think I think are really, really cool records and, and great reflections of work. Um, and then there's a new artist um, out of Canada named Aaron Martin. And I'm starting to build these, these weird dope up temple, um, like scave down up temple club records with her. <laughs> and I think, I think she's really, really talented. Um, what she, what she writes. And it, these are completely two completely different processes. Uh, like one with Lupe in studio, the whole thing. And then another where I'm just sending over a track and then it comes back and it's right, like right. done. And I don't know. It's uh, so that's that's the past and the future in a sense. Some people should listen to from the past, and some they should look forward to. Sure, makes sense, man. Thank you so much, man, for having me on here, man. This is a uh, this is really really cool. And listen, we yeah, battle yeah. on about this stuff, man. And it's really great to see uh, from another artist, uh, from from you know the viewpoint of another artist, like what's been going on. Yeah, yeah, happy to. Cool so stuff, I'll man. see you uh, Saturday. Yes, sir. All right. I'll see you on Saturday. Thank you so much, Mike. Appreciate yeah. you. Have a good night. All right. You too. Peace. Thank you for listening. Music by Dory Bavarsky and Ming Jia Chen. Next up, we have Christopher Davison. Enjoy. Enjoy.